Um, hopefully you can't hear my dog um, rumbling around <laughs> the floor. Louis just having a great time playing with all the toys that he never usually touches. Um, uh, <laughs> Only during podcasts does he like to bite his toys. <laughs> Welcome to Offscript by Hey Radio. I'm James and I run an agency called Parallax and I'm joined with Josh who runs Stack and the Hey Events. Today we're doing a bit of a year roundup so we're going to talk about all the good and bad bits across the year. So I think we've had a pretty good run on the podcast this year. I don't know how you're feeling about it. Yeah, it's been really good. Had some good feedback. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's, it's been really enjoyable. It's been nice to talk through a variety of different topics. And as we get towards the end of the year, it, it kind of made sense to do a, a bit of a roundup. So I, I thought we'd do a 2021 developer roundup. Yeah, a lot's happened and it'll be good to chat through. A lot has happened. And as, as we were compiling the, you know, we were going through the months, looking at different kind of key events through the months, um, it, it kind of came, there's a lot of things that have occurred <laughs> in the dev community and the wider kind of tech community, I guess. Yeah, yeah, uh, and loads of recent security stuff as well, which is causing plenty of headaches. But yes, yeah, yeah. What, what what a lovely one to round off December uh, on, <laughs> on our monthly run through as well. Um, so yeah, so we just thought we'd run through the months and and kind of talk through things that that kind of popped out um, to us, which is good. So starting in January, yeah. So um, first of all, can I just shout out Cooper Press um, because um, Cooper Press runs some fantastic newsletters, um, front and focus and Ruby weekly amongst amongst others um going through the archives of cooper press really helped um kind of figure out some key events you know looking through the, the months to see what had gone down so um, just a shout out and thank you for for, for compiling those archives because it was super helpful awesome so um the first thing i thought we'd kick off with in january um which was important to me but probably no one else <laughs> um was google cloud functions uh, added support for ruby yeah, I mean, we've already had Ruby support in Lambda for a while. Yes. There is Ruby on Jets, which is a, a serverless Ruby on right. Rails-like framework, yes. which looks pretty cool. Serverless framework supported Ruby for a bit. But yeah, for it to come to Google Cloud Functions, that rounds it off. That's You've got it in Azure, you've got it in AWS, and now Google Cloud. So. I was really surprised to see... It only just being added to Google Cloud Functions, but uh, yeah. I don't know. I don't know why. I just kind of always thought that they supported it. But I think there's possibly a way that you could hack around it. But yeah. yeah. Um, um, I think Rails is getting better at supporting serverless stuff. It, it, you get that cold boot time now, still, don't you? But, yeah. Um, yeah. I, th- I think. Um, I guess there's more. There's different frameworks that lend itself better to um, some of the kind of serverless architectures. So some of the more lightweight HTTP handlers and, and things like that. Um, but obviously, serverless even abstracts a lot of that away from from your process as well. So yeah, absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, the, the other thing that kind of popped out for me was the the whole conversation um, around branching, and I, th- I think it kind of it might have started at, towards the end of twenty. Um, 2020, but the conversation around uh, the whole master-slave naming and branches, and um, you know the historical meanings of those words, and how it affected you know people who are working uh, with projects that that use that sort of naming. Yeah, um, it was good that in January GitHub added an easy way to rename that stuff in the web UI, and I know that a lot of places followed. I think um, was it really? I think it might have been Rails or another framework. It might have been Laravel looked at you know renaming the main branch and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and obviously the defaults changed a bit ago, didn't they, on GitHub yeah. to main, which makes sense. And the tooling's now 
yeah, arrived with us early in the year. I think everything's it's quite easy to transition over, isn't it? So yeah, I think it was quite nice um, to see how easy it was in in Git, and obviously, I'm sure it was some effort for GitHub to add it, but it was quite nice to see the community kind of follow suit. Yeah, just my muscle memory that needs to catch up now. Yeah, I, I still do it, even <laughs> even to this day. I still type it. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, it's um. I, I I was, was going to say I love those kind of things. I don't love those kind of things. Obviously, there's there's some some terrible um, history to some of the language used, but I, I do I do like it when the community goes, ah, oh, that's not quite right. Should we just change it on mass? And then it kind of just happens. Yeah, like the allow list, deny list stuff. Yeah, exactly. it just sort of makes sense. If you can do quick tweaks like that, just to make to make it better, then do it. Yeah, I think there's a special shout out to all the assholes who don't do that yeah. <laughs> um, and who just think they have to champion uh, things for no particular reason. If it doesn't offend you, um, then there's really no harm in, in changing it. Absolutely. Um, so what else happened in, in January? Uh, Puppeteer ported to TypeScript uh, yes. and they did it gradually, um, which is one of the benefits of implementing TypeScript is you don't need to go all in. Yes. But it's an example of a a well-used project yes. um, that was originally just plain old JavaScript and biting the bullet and going TypeScript, which looking at it, it does, does make it worth it, especially if you're like a library. Yeah. Um, because when people use you and you have an IDE, yeah. you, all the auto completions and stuff are nice if you are typed. And also plain old JavaScript, like plain old JavaScript project, sorry, can use you even if you are TypeScript. Yes. It doesn't, it doesn't, have to be yeah pollute the rest of it if that makes sense it does make sense yes i i guess the um so for those that don't know puppeteer is um google's um browser driving engine how, yeah how would you describe it yeah it's google's selenium yes but less flaky <laughs> <laughs> yeah with less weights and sleeps <laughs> yeah yeah and java <laughs> less java <laughs> I, I guess the nice thing about the conversion to typescript is um you know that the, the way that puppeteers um kind of written and 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 whatnot kind of ties close into the way that Chrome itself's built and, and how you know how the browser um, kind of runs, I guess. So in terms of that kind of typed language, that typed environment, does it kind of bring things closer in terms of that man kind of mental mindset? I don't know. Yeah, I think it's yeah, I think it's a nice project, and it seems to be the thing that that a lot of modern testing libraries use underneath. Yeah. Uh, it's just a shame it's just so closely tied to Chrome. Or does it support different browsers now? Um, I think it may support Firefox, but I could be talking uh, rubbish. But I, I definitely um, I definitely think they, they made a conscious effort to not be this just works on Chrome because um, obviously the different uses for Selenium and, and whatnot um, means that you want to use it for testing different browsers, different environments. You don't want to have that Chrome-specific browser testing, do you? Yeah, um, although all browsers are now Chrome, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which makes it easier, right? <laughs> yeah, so Firefox, well, we'll come on to later, they're not doing so well, but yeah, yeah. if if Microsoft's browser is now Chrome, Opera's Chrome, yeah. it's it's leading down a bad route. Possibly. The whole Microsoft Edge, yeah, the whole, the whole way that's all gone is really interesting. As I was looking through the year, actually, there was just a gradual mass deprecation of all <laughs> all Microsoft versions of browsers. But this is going to be the new works in IE6, isn't it? Yes. It <laughs> works in Chromium-based, Blink-based browsers. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, interesting, definitely. Um, and kind of that. Speaking about that, moves on quite nicely to uh, and some other huge news that landed in January, which is the AVIF um, image format. Which I remember Jake Archibald did a fantastic article on um, of how to use it. Yeah. So some of the more recent image formats have actually come from video formats. Yeah. Um, so when Flash died, some of the technology from Onto escaped that and formed into VP6 and then Google used that as their video codec. Yeah. Modern <laughs> image formats came out of that. Sorry about the squeaky dog toy. Um, but yeah, AVIF is basically a single frame version of AV1 video format. Yes. But it's a load of companies come together and they've gone, right, what's what's bad about video at the moment? Yes. Mostly around patents and the MPEG group where you have to give license fees to. A lot of people don't realise if you develop something or publish something like a game or something and it uses some technology that the MPEG group holds their rights to, you mm. have to give them some money and that money is a sliding scale. Which is bonkers, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So you can't then distribute a browser for free because you need to pay somebody 50p a go or whatever it is. Yeah. So they came together and were like, well, well this is daft. So we'll, we'll pull some paintings together and we'll make sure that this is all open and anyone can use it. And it's really good. <laughs> yeah. um, it's what is it? It's like Apple, Amazon, Cisco, Google, Intel, Microsoft, Mozilla. All the people have come together and gone, yeah, let's do this. Maybe not Apple, but <laughs> yeah, maybe Apple's just sticking with uh, yeah. H.264. But um, yeah, it's good. And it, it, you can decide how long you want to spend compressing something as well. Yeah. So if you want to spend an age and really optimize it, you can do that. If you want to compress something really quickly, you could do that as well. And uh, as you said, I think if you've got any any forces behind making that work on the web, it's, it's those big uh, big companies, right? Uh, apart from maybe Apple, as you said, that would probably pop it in Safari only and, and protected <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah, although JavaScript's getting so quick these days, you could probably <laughs> you could probably render it in JavaScript. Yeah, um, but yeah, it is good. So the only other thing that I had on my list for January was. Um, Rails introduced something called Hotwire. So um, DHH, which we'll, we'll get onto <laughs> at some point later on, um, started looking at different ways to modernize um, with, with the Rails core team, obviously, not just DHH, um, how we can modernize JavaScript usage in, in Rails. And one of the interesting things that they kind of revisited time and time again was how we can remove the need for JavaScript altogether and just pipe static HTML fragments from from you know from the server responses into uh, existing into the DOM, I guess. Yeah. Um, and and Hotwire and Turbo and a few other different implementations for how to navigate with as little JavaScript as possible um, seems to still be pretty prevalent in Rails. Yep, and also that's spread into Laravel and other nice. communities. So you could use Turbo with Laravel if you wanted. There's nice. also Livewire, which I think is a bit more of a port, which yeah. we've contributed to because it didn't work behind a load balancer. So oh, we nice. fixed that. <laughs> oh, right. um, well, this went with a slight different patch, but it was our underlying ideas that what went was into the, that. How come it didn't work behind the load balancers? They were doing some weird stuff where they were caching and using a view cache, but it was non-deterministic. Ah, uh, okay. And then weird things happen, <laughs> but only at scale. So all the small projects are like, yeah, this is fine. And then we're like, oh no, it doesn't work. Yeah, caching um, remains to be <laughs> a problematic. <laughs> yeah, it just needs someone to use it at scale. Unfortunately, that was 
that was us and a few <laughs> other agencies first. So um, it should now be fixed. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, so I, I think that concludes January. Quite a lot happened in January. Um, I think uh, kicking the ear off <laughs> with with bang. Um, so I guess moving on to January, uh, January, <laughs> February. Um, I, one of the things that stuck out to me was uh, an article by Remy Sharp, which was the web didn't change, you did. And I think we might have referenced this uh, in one of our first podcasts, actually. Yeah, I think sometimes it does feel like you need to set up a load of base level stuff like you you when you do like a fresh react project you install like a million packages and you're getting webpack going and all this kind of stuff Mm. but you don't have to do all that like you could just write plain old javascript still and it's fine yeah and i think library authors should be quite mindful that people will want to do that especially if they're just hacking something together yeah so if you've got a framework or a library that people want to use if you can expose that in a way where they just hot link it yeah and they can do it in a code pen or whatever then it just keeps it nice and accessible doesn't it do you reckon that's going to change in terms of you know our expectations as as you know developers that have been in the industry for quite a while um we can remember you know some of those times where we didn't have the build steps didn't know that do you reckon engineers and developers that are kind of coming to industry now and, and are used to those sort of build steps and phases and different compile targets and stuff do you reckon because that's uh, what they've kind of grown up with and what they've learned it's less of an issue or um i don't know i think it's a lot to learn for new starters yeah. and it's a frustration point for junior devs i think mm. especially but it's a frustration for me as well because if i'm jumping around lots of different projects mm. and it takes me a good solid hour just to get a local environment going that's that's a problem right yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but there are new package managers new things coming out but it's just more competing stuff that things has to has to work with yeah, yeah. i mean we did touch on this in in one of the podcast episodes wasn't the web better 10 years ago (laughs) and there was just the joy of just including jquery and cracking on but you can still do that but yeah yeah, i do think yeah it's tricky isn't it i guess it's also the kind of adoption curve for browsers as well because um, we're seeing you know a lot more support for modules and loading javascript from different places and stuff so i wonder if it's just cases as the as the eventual target being the browser catches up with these tools, um, there's less need for the build step altogether, right? Yeah, and with HTTP3 and all that jazz, yeah, yeah, you you shouldn't have to care about the low-level details anymore. Yeah, Yeah. just back to building stuff and linking to things and, yeah, interesting. Yeah. Um, The other thing that came out in February was the uh, Microsoft Edge browser added a kids mode. Um, which I thought was a worthwhile thing to mention because I think, first of all, obviously, you know, you want to make sure, um, you know, the younger generation are safer online. You know, there's lots of different um, apps that have kid, you know, Netflix's kid mode, for example, fences off content, make sure they, you know, they can't access some of the kind of more mainstream um, films and episodes and stuff. But I, I thought it was quite interesting to see how we fence it off in a in an environment that is made to not be, fenced off yeah yeah that must be a really tricky problem like if it's based on an allow list then how Mm. how do you discover content that sits outside of that but Mm. i guess if it's for very young kids then it does make sense doesn't it because you just want them to stumble across well-vetted content platforms like youtube kids and all that kind of stuff Mm. it's tricky one because yeah i'm not a parent but i can imagine it's a bit of a minefield Mm. you want to plunk your kid in front of a computer but don't necessarily want all the 
guardrails to not be there. Yeah, the more I started thinking about this, more the more complicated it became in terms of um, it's not just an allow list of sites it's also functionality on those sites so you know from the more trivial ones like allowing notifications and you know all of a sudden you've got different ways for content to be piped to that user yeah. um, but also things like Microsoft uh, microphone access um, you know video access oh yeah, yeah, all, yeah. all those sorts of things I hadn't even thought about that yeah, the more I thought about it, I was like, oh, actually, it's, it's actually the functionality of the browser itself, which you want to fence off as well. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. That all needs turning off, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But that, that, that also raises an interesting challenge for, you know, authors of these websites that are aimed at children, because that all of a sudden you, you're you relying on modern technologies, but they might not be accessible. Um, yeah. Which kind of makes you fall back to a more limited web, I guess. Yeah, and advertising as well. That probably wants to be blocked. Um, yeah. But yeah. Definitely. Um, so the other thing that happened in February, which was exciting for me, was um, the release of Sonic Pi 3.3, which I don't know if you played with. It's amazing. I need to see you use this. Oh, God, it's amazing. <laughs> it's, um, for those that don't know, Sonic Pi is a, it's a sampler uh, or, or kind of synth uh, written in Ruby. Um, so you, there, there are different versions of this for different languages, but, but Sonic Pi is one written in Ruby. It's amazing. You can you can basically create full, you know, full audio tracks, full productions with, with Ruby um, and, and program samplers, program drum machines, program synths. Um, what's really cool is you can take input from different environments. So you could take, you know, live input from like a microphone, augment the waveforms and then produce completely, you know, computer generated music ace this sounds like the nerdiest gig ever like. <laughs> yeah yeah I, yeah i mean it's gonna be um, great though it's amazing yeah it's, it's not it's not a not a heavy hitter for you know first direct <laughs> arena or anything but <laughs> i think you'd sell tickets yeah to, to probably a couple of people <laughs> um but yeah I'd, I'd highly recommend having a look at it it's, it's amazing um really awesome. cool um does it oh, what there was a not code in the dark. That that's an amazing um, event in Leeds. But there's, there was um, there's an event. It's it's kind of like a, a live coding music event where you go and watch DJs that do that. I can't remember the term, but it's quite popular now. Like VJ sort of. Yeah. But not not God, with I code. Sound, I sound old now, don't I? <laughs> what are these kids up to these days? <laughs> yeah. I'll remember it and put it in the show notes when I've uh, when I've remembered. <laughs> but I was always fascinated with going way back to the sort of Winamp visualizations and how you could tweak the code for mm. those and just play around and yeah. download bits off the internet. There's Milk Drop was yeah. the the one that was really fascinating to me. But I love that. Yeah. It's so cool. Just mess around with some formulas no idea what they did at the time but <laughs> I, I still don't know how sonic pie works but <laughs> but it's cool because you can just sit there with a beer and get like a you know an arpeggiating <laughs> kind of synth working and it's just it's, it's great. just ace to and like live live code it yeah proper cool awesome um also in february um homebrew 3 was released yep which i love and hate in equal measure <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it yeah. seems like it just every time i upgrade my mac something falls off and it's usually brew and i can't blame brew itself because it's doing a very good job at trying to wrangle loads of different packages an almost impossible job right? yeah but it's it's a it's a pain point isn't it yeah it's it's like uh like webpack it solves one problems and creates other ones but it's it's not it's not the, the problem of the tool it's just the complicated environment of which these things have to work yeah and i've got a me and Brew have made friends again, and we've got a, a list of commands that I'll run, yeah, and that'll make it okay again. Stop <laughs> yeah. the services, upgrade yeah. it, 
do some weird funky clear stuff. Yeah. My, my brew doctor is my friend. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Why is it not working? I don't know which folders to just delete and then, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you, brew maintainers. <laughs> yes. We'll get, we'll get onto maintainers actually a little bit, uh, a little bit later because I think, I think one of the, and certainly something we saw from this log4j exploit is that the maintainers often work on these projects tirelessly for free, um, as, yeah. as a passion to make things better. And, um, I don't think that's recognized enough, is it really? No. I mean, think of the amount of time they must be saving people and the, these should be big infrastructure projects for large organizations. They yeah. should be contributing to brew if not with time with money yeah um and because their developers use it totally um, I, I mean oh can you remember the days of like early mac upgrades with before homebrew you yeah, know you, you had no idea what was going on what versions you had installed it was chaos you had a smattering of sort of mac apps to install servers and stuff yeah mamp and whatever <laughs> Oh god, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, it was chaos, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so thank you, homebrew. <laughs> I guess is the is the message there. Um, so moving on to March, you know, March was was also quite a big month. I think um, it celebrated ten years of open source visualization with D three JS in March, which um, you know. D3JS was one of the first to really show how visualization could work with, with JavaScript, I think, anyway. I don't think I'm wrong saying that. Yeah, it's been really good for us. We've made some cool stuff with it. Um, yeah, it's sort of any, anything from sort of the exploratory to the explanatory is how they describe it. Yeah. But um, yeah, just tinkering with data lets you understand how it actually works. Mm. Um, yeah, there's been some really good sort of COVID-related graphics and stuff built in D3, which explain how stuff actually happens underneath and there's a really complex website which actually shows a relationship between different variants which is way oh, wow. over my head <laughs> but it uses d3 does it i don't know if it uses d3 but it uses we must use something similar yeah oh wow. um, but yeah it's it's um it, it's when you see data sets like that with you know visualized with d3 or something you realize how powerful those tools are you know because they can make sense of really intricate data sets yeah definitely i think guardian were using them for a bit weren't they oh were they uh, yeah because I know that um, I know Green Socks uh, become quite popular. I know it's slightly different in terms of animation. It's an animation framework. Yeah, but, um, I've seen some really engaging visuals with Green Sock, and that's something for my my January. Um, <laughs> you know, to, to to sit down and have a good play. Yeah, Green Socks feels at home for me because coming from sort of Flash yeah. way back when, and you had all the different kinds of tweens and stuff, and all that's in there, and it's. A lot of familiar language yeah. with scenes and all that sort of stuff. How much yeah. of scenes is there actually? But, you know. <laughs> but yeah, you can tween bits, bits and animate stuff. Yeah. Ace. Um, the other thing was uh, March uh, also saw Ghost 4 being released, um, which is that famous um, CRM. It started as a... CMS, yeah. Yeah, it started as a Kickstarter, didn't it? It was going to be a Kickstarter for a WordPress theme and then it, it grew arms and legs and they decided to rewrite WordPress in JavaScript. Amazing. Well, the blogging part of it anyway. Mm. But yeah, it looks cool, doesn't it? It looks amazing. Ghost, I still haven't really played with Ghost 4, but I, I love where all of this stuff's going in terms of, uh, and as you said, I love their approach for headless CMS, headless, uh, you know, and also with that kind of nice editor implementation in JavaScript. Um, I think we started to see more of the decoupling of the, the nice front end experience for an editor, which yeah. hasn't always been present in <laughs> WordPress. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. I mean, they're sort of competing with like Medium and other blogging mm. platforms, aren't they? But Very similar stylistically, wasn't it? Yeah. I think Medium captured a load of Mindshare early on and then they started putting the paywalls on it. 
and mm. everyone's just sort of like, right, what now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was it was so frustrating to see what happened with Medium because it was such a nice product experience, such a nice environment to share your work. Um, and then they made it very obvious that they owned it and you shouldn't really <laughs> put your content there. Yeah, yeah. It's quite sad, really. It is a bit sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and we also saw um, Chrome making some pretty serious changes to uh, the address bar in version 90. So what I liked is they started to implement HTTPS by default. Um, started to follow a lot of the trends that we'd seen, uh, you know, certainly us making in terms of everything's on HTTPS. Yeah, yeah. well, I used to do a, a talk on this um, about how everything went through HTTP first. Yeah. And I had a demo where someone would connect to the Wi-Fi. Oh, I did it at I remember, your yeah. event. <laughs> I remember, yeah, you, uh, you showed how it's a terrible idea. <laughs> and they asked them to go on Google and search for something, and then we could see exactly what was on their phone. And if they moved their phone, the gyroscope would move their phone on the screen. Mm. All very ter- terrifying. Yeah. But it's because Google, for years, would happily just take... A, yeah, a man in the middle yeah. Uh, yeah, connection, and yeah. it didn't implement HTTP to HTTPS forced um, HSTS tech for a long, long while, mainly because of compatibility issues mm. and, and problems that they would face if they did do that. Um, but they're finally, finally there a few years ago. But a lot of people still not there. Well, all more reason to own your own browser environment as well, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, um, some large enterprise very, very afraid of turning this on mm. because of what it might break. But Chrome defaulting to HTTPS fixes a lot of this problem. Yeah. Um, so this is this is really good news. Yeah. Um, yeah, massively. Um, and speaking of Chrome, there's also the um, Chrome were testing this kind of native follow button for websites. I'm not sure if you saw that. Um, yeah. It um, was interesting that. So. Yeah, hopefully this means they're going to bring back Google Reader because I really missed that. <laughs> You're still not quite recovered from no. that. No, <laughs> still a bit upset. <laughs> Sorry to uh, to trigger you on that one. That was that wasn't intentional. Um, maybe one day they'll bring it back to a huge fanfare. Maybe someone somewhere in, in Google is looking at how they can bring back Google Reader. Uh, yeah, I think they only killed it because they had that shit Google Plus product, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, but then they killed that too, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, which was even worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so the follow button uh, kind of baked into Google was it was an interesting idea and it, it raises the interesting questions around, you know, where should um, kind of native web functionality stop and where should kind of custom app functionality begin? Yeah. Um, I don't think it actually got anywhere. I don't think they end up implementing anything like that, did they? I, don't I haven't seen it, no. So. Um, but yeah, and the only other thing that really um, flagged to me in, in March was the, um, there's a there's a base, camp, uh, not a base camp, a Rails issue. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but um, one of the one of the maintainers of one of the gems that supported Rails um, noticed the, I think it was the um, license, the licensing on the gem was wrong. Yeah. So they yanked the gem and republished the gem, but doing that broke everything. <laughs> um, as we've seen with yeah. those of stuff like it, what was that one? Left, Left pad, pad in yeah. NPM and yeah. all it's sorts. It's just ridiculous how brittle everything is yeah. when yeah, when dependencies like that are there. The house of cards, yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, it, it goes to show like a, a reasonably innocuous decision to, to try and do the right thing by, again, a maintainer that probably has very little praise. Um, I'm sure he had some nasty emails in, in his <laughs> inbox or on the issue. <laughs> yeah, well, every build server breaking is, uh, <laughs> you can get a few angry people, aren't you? Yeah. Um, but again, it prompted the point of, hey, maybe we should do some sort of sponsorship model for open source so we can look yeah. after these things. Yeah, definitely. Um, 
So on to April, which is the month of horrendous internet April Fools. Um, I can't remember any particularly terrible ones this year. Can, I can think you? a lot of companies didn't bother with a, a full April Fool, did they? I think, no. Did Google do a few? I can't remember, but I think, I think the, the pandemic was the biggest April Fool and everyone was getting quite tired of it by this point. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh, and then Basecamp had a bit of an April Fool, didn't they? Well, <laughs> well. <laughs> unfortunately it wasn't. <laughs> but they told their staff to t- stop talking about politics at work and that went down like a lead balloon. Yeah, particularly interesting considering one of the founders speaks predominantly about politics both at work and outside of <laughs> work. I think they just really dropped the ball there. Um, I wonder what happened, like... Uh, was it egos got the better of them or was it just I, I don't know what happened I don't know they were the poster child for the industry yeah. like this is the cool way that you can turn an agency into a product company and make totally. cool stuff I was a right ambassador to them I, I, you know I was really bought into them obviously they made Ruby on Rails which yeah. is quite a big achievement yeah <laughs> and wrote some great books which I still would follow the advice in those books yeah and yeah. then completely shut on their staff <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's, it's so funny because i remember early keynotes with with dhh uh and he was he he, he always tied you know his opinions and, and his politics into how he built software yeah and i think it all snowballed out of a funny customer name list if i'm not wrong and mm. it just went from there well, obviously remember, we yeah. couldn't see from the inside what that where it stemmed from so we've yeah. seen really strange blog posts going out yeah uh, and then obviously a little bit of a mass exodus really um, weird yeah we, they lost some really good people uh, which i think we get to a, a month or two later but it was that was such a shame wasn't it because i don't know about you but when because because I, I it's not like i idolized dhh in, individually but i was you know i was grateful of the contributions to rails and things like that yeah. It's, yeah. A, it's always difficult when someone that you respect does something utterly ridiculous it was a bit upsetting for me yeah, yeah. um and yeah, I'm, I don't know if they'll they'll get back to where they were, but they're they're just sort of trucking on, aren't they? Still, yeah. they're doing rolling base camp four update now instead of a big bang launch. Are they? Yeah, I don't know because they've lost half of their staff and they need to do the rolling one. Yeah, or, possibly, or maybe mm. it's just a nicer route to it. But because mm. um, previously they've sort of had them siloed, so you, there's no upgrade path between them. Ah, uh, yeah, they do like a big bang. Here's the new look, everything. Yeah, which mm. kind of works for agency because you start new projects and. Mm. and wrap old projects up and you just use the new base camp don't you yeah <laughs> um, although I, s- I still think the very very f- first base camp app still runs and you can still pay for it and well, it looks like every rails app at the time ever with the <laughs> yeah. tab bar across Everyone the top. Re- i think i i built all my admin the kind of looks off yeah that, off yeah that. you just you just nick that, that <laughs> ulli list style um, I think um, one of the one of the mantras of the company is to what is it until the end of the internet they always say don't they yeah which I quite like yeah um, that's cool if you want to maintain hellish projects for the rest of your life yeah and well now they're looking after email servers aren't they yeah yeah it just doesn't sound like fun no absolutely <laughs> not <laughs> um, the other thing that I thought was worth mentioning in April was um, I don't know if you remember um, Speaker Deck do you remember Speaker Deck I do yeah. Yeah. So John Newmaker was um he was quite prolific in the Ruby community. Yep. Um and speak he sold Speaker Deck to GitHub. Yeah. And then acquired it back again. Yeah. And Which there was, was another nice. competitor, wasn't there? And they, they sold to LinkedIn. What was that Slide one? Slideshare. Ah yes. I think it and was. then it went a bit corporate, didn't it? Yeah. 
But there was a problem that, like, you have a load of slides at the end of a talk. You need to upload it somewhere. You don't mm. want to upload your keynote. Yeah. It was good. I liked how that kind of changed the way that people did talks as well. They'd be like, before they start, they've linked to, you know, the link already so people can go and view the talk, the slides along with the the talk and everything. Yeah. Well, I I took inspiration from Holman at GitHub. He used to publish his slides on it, I think. And yeah. it's just like nice, big, chunky font, not too wordy. Yeah. Like almost like designy. Like, yeah, I remember he, because uh, he worked with, Kyle Neath, didn't he? Yes. Um, yeah, he's yeah. also of GitHub fame. And I remember Kyle also went with like really amazing color palettes and, and really nice slides. Yeah. And that's where I pinched my slide templates yeah. from. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can't beat a good palette, can you? So. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Two some nice colors, nice chunky fonts. Yeah. Jobs are good. Yeah. I think that, that approach to, um, to doing slides has really changed how I build presentations when I'm doing actual public speaking. It, I, I hate this, um, this kind of, common thing where you've got a PowerPoint jammed with oh like a whole paragraph of oh, stuff really small don't, it's, then it's not a slide is it let's be honest <laughs> you're using the wrong medium to communicate there yeah that should be a document it should be a document <laughs> or, or, or it should be a confluence page or something like that yeah definitely um, so that was April um, into May um, I'm going to have to shout out that we ran All Day Here Live um, you know that went down really well considering we were still you know in the depth of a pandemic um, you know that was the second live event we'd done we streamed it um, we welcomed Phil back to Leeds which was great yeah. um, so we did a kind of hybrid event um, really good food for thought for next year hopefully you know really do fingers crossed that you know we'll be able to um, get back to events how how we how we used to do them here's hoping yeah because we really enjoyed the old day hey in person ah so, oh, it's good yeah. just meet so many nice people and get it's to have good. a chat don't you that's it yeah um and i guess also in may you know just to back on to what we were talking about before really the effects of um you know the effects of some of the things that had happened off the back of that base camp um flare up i guess uh, you know the whole uh, the whole political conversations at work uh, saw some really big effects knocking on to the open source world so sam stevenson yeah uh, an absolute ruby powerhouse yeah basically wrote everything yeah um he's by <laughs> uh, turbo links all the things so much stuff um pow he wrote that amazing server called power if you remember that yeah i do and um, just such huge contributions to open source he he kind of walked away from uh, a lot of it because he, he was I don't know burnt out sick of it um, what a shame you know yeah it is a shame uh, and also you know George Claghorn resigned from the Rails core team and the Rails core team then had to issue a statement saying uh, you know who who controls Rails who influences Rails um, Rails is not Basecamp um, really distancing themselves from the messaging that had happened before yeah. um, it goes to show that that kind of sponsorship from a corporate party um, can go both ways you know in, in terms of that you're both responsible for those actions, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, yeah, real, real shame. Um, so, moving on from that, what else happened in uh, in May? So, uh, Sublime Text Four was released. Lovely. That's the text edit you want if you accidentally open a yep. SQL export. <laughs> yeah or dot isf <laughs> yeah it'll, it'll just crack on yeah uh, i i still love and use it to this day um I've, I've had a little play around with vs code and all the other ones um i'm sure it's just me not wanting to learn new things also but yeah i've uh, moved to vs code now i'm not no longer on atom i'm no longer a dinosaur <laughs> i'm gonna have to get involved and i'm feeling left out <laughs> yeah I, I i think um you know sublime has has 
it's weathered the storm a bit, hasn't it, in terms of editors? Um, I think TextMate is dead, isn't it now? Or oh, is it starts to blast from the past. Yeah. yeah, I remember there was some early Ruby on Rails video courses. Was it Peep Code? Yes, or Peep Code. It was, and that's where. I first learned about TextMate and I was like, this is great. Yeah. It's lovely. <laughs> Loads of cool little plugins and yeah, it was was fantastic, wasn't it? Yeah. Um but yeah, okay, so that's a that's a little nudge to me to get stuck into um some slightly newer IDEs, I guess. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> um what else happened in May? We had twenty five years of CSS. It was the anniversary of style sheets. Yeah, that's um that's mad. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember pitching to my old boss that we should move away from table-based layout to CSS. Yeah. And it wasn't quite there. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, 5.5 for Mac was still <laughs> absolutely atrocious at rendering it. And our, that's what our client used. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we, we ended up writing it twice. I wanted CSS. And again, sadly, back to tables with space of GIFs in. But that was a long, long time ago. But oh, yeah. Space of GIFs. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> showing, showing my age now. Wow. Yeah, and kind of speaking of that nice link, nice link there into uh, it's actually eleven years of responsive web design as well. Um, nice. So I guess those those spacer gifts wouldn't really um, fare very well in terms of responsive design, would they? Really? Yeah, it was nuts. So when we so you think back to it, we used to have like we we'd look at what the BBC were doing, and then they're like, "Well, it's about six hundred pixels wide, or whatever it was." <laughs> yeah. And you'd make your website that wide in a table, yeah. and center it. And that's it. And then when Responsive Web came along, you're like, you can't do that. And then the first sort of iteration of it was awful. It was like the line lengths were too long. Like You're just like, this just stretches over the screen. Yeah, <laughs> but it's what the browser does by default. But yeah. we were so not used to it that web design just went a little bit wobbly for a bit for me. Yeah. Um, and then I think we're in a pretty good place now. Obviously got loads of different pixel densities and screen shapes and everyone sort of got used to all the concepts that are needed to make it work. But yeah, it was an exciting time trying to figure all that out. Yeah, it's, it's always a nice blast from the past when you look at, when you visit one of those old sites. And obviously now we have disgustingly large monitors, you yeah. know, um, and, and you just see the tiny little portion in the top left. It's just fixed there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we had to do all sorts of hacks to get stuff work, like negative margins and yeah. stuff to get, get stuff like a little column on the left and a column on the right. That wasn't, obvious yeah <laughs> that was a hack <laughs> <laughs> it's true actually yeah because now we, we're kind of used to where you've got you've got all your flex box you've got you've got yeah. your your general kind of containers and you know how how we're used to working yeah it's easy to forget how how far we've come yeah and obviously different box model modes yeah i accidentally yeah. implemented it the right way first time <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone did it the other way <laughs> yeah 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 it's um it was, it was a good journey that interesting history isn't it um so moving on to well june was um june was an interesting reminder um that um there are still some really key pillars of the internet that when they go down it really does cause a lot of problems yeah we have been seeing this more and more where you'll notice oh that website's down but also this one and this one and this yeah. one because <laughs> they're all running on the same infrastructure or yeah. they're using the same cdn so unfortunately this time it was fastly that got bitten yes and it was a single customer updating a setting somewhere in an admin panel, press save, and then it took Fastly down, <laughs> which is quite terrifying. <laughs> quite terrifying, but also, you know, really relate to the engineers I, working I, on that. I could totally see how that would happen. Yeah. Like transform that config into a, a rule set and then deploy it out to all the nodes. Yeah. And then a bad 
yeah, totally could happen. I guess it's at this point as well. Someone would be like, well, multi-cloud, do all this and that. No, no stop it. Don't do multi-cloud. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the effort to implement multi-cloud successfully is rarely, if ever, worth the effort yeah 100 <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> moving on <laughs> um, I, I guess also there was an interesting um kind of revelation in in june around i don't know if you're aware of the maintainer of prawn uh, or if you're aware of the prawn library yep i'm acutely aware of prawn it's a pdf generation library which i have some experience in <laughs> yeah because you you have built a pdf library in javascript <laughs> yeah which is oh, yeah, interesting. <laughs> but I think I feel the same as this maintainer. Uh, it's like, yeah, you you have a use case for it at a point. Yeah. You see if it's possible, flesh it out. Everybody wants to use it, <laughs> yeah. but nobody wants to touch the code. <laughs> no one wants to touch it, maintain it, you yeah. know, pay you for it. <laughs> yeah. For some reason, every business app, there's a requirement, must be able to export to PDF. Yeah. So whatever language you're in, there's a library there and a maintainer that you need to look after and send <laughs> chocolates to. <laughs> Definitely. If there's anyone needing a Christmas present, it's the library maintainers, that's for sure. Um, I, I think the, the interesting thing with that is that uh, and, and also, side thought is that, you know, a lot of apps these days still don't get it right. So me and you went to export um, the PDF from Trello. Yeah. And it just exports a picture of the board. It's awful. It, yeah, it's <laughs> awful. You know, sorry, sorry, Trello engineers. But, you know, the CSV option was blanked out. You could get the JSON and stuff. But, you know, it goes to show how hard it is to really draw, you know, really nice PDFs of content in apps. Um, yeah, and line breaking and page breaking. Oh, you always get breaks. that scrappy page at the end, don't you? Yeah, <laughs> like one on word it. on it. Or yeah, something. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's really hard. Um, so it was really interesting to see this maintainer of prawn talk about how, his version of Prawn is complete. He, he no longer needs to advance, you know, its features. Yeah. Um, so he handed it over, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. I yeah. like that. It's good. It's a good decision for his mental health, probably more than anything. Um, <laughs> but yes, so July, what happened in July? Tim Berners-Lee sold an NFT of the original source code for the, the first ever uh, web server. Yes. Um, which then, I think that source code then turned into Apache. Oh, is okay. that right? Oh, right. Um, but yeah, t selling NFTs is is just like the art world, isn't it? It's it's. I mean, there's yeah. a whole podcast episode in just this and Web three and the terrifyingness of it all. But yeah, um, yeah five million dollars for not that you don't own the source code. <laughs> no, it's you own the idea <laughs> of owning the source code <laughs> Which, I, I, I was a little bit disappointed when I realised that he'd done this but I, then I realised he hadn't done it for his own personal gain had he had he not I don't, I was, uh, I don't giving think this so. money away well I, I, unless I completely misunderstood it. if he did I also have to give him credit <laughs> because he has made I mean he invented the internet and we've got to give yeah. him credit but credit's due right yeah that, fair enough <laughs> but, but you know I, I'm still I'm still very on the fence about NFTs and the whole Web3 what do we call it? A movement? Um, yeah. What's, you know, I don't want to open a can of worms here. <laughs> what's your view on that? Um, yeah, it seems like hundreds and hundreds of years of ownership law and everything that's gone into how we commerce and do stuff and get refunds and all that. Mm. It's chucking all that away <laughs> and replacing it with a little cryptographic key and hoping for the best. <laughs> yeah. For me, that is not going to end well but no. what happens if someone steals that small string 
Yeah. And empties out a wallet somewhere and you go crying to the police, the government, whatever, and they go, we can't do anything yeah. because cryptography. Yeah, first of all, we don't understand it. Yeah. Second of all, yeah. Second of all, it's impossible. It just sounds like the worst idea. I can understand why people want to decentralise stuff and stick it to the man and yeah. whatever, but this is not a good way to solve most <laughs> problems. No. In my opinion. Right, so what I've done is I've noted <laughs> NFT chat 2022. <laughs> we'll see how we get on with yeah. that. Um, I, I largely agree. Um, I, I think it's I think it's great that you know the creativity of people uh, and, and the um, the distributed ownership of this stuff is being really tested. Yeah. Um, but as you've highlighted, there's a lot of dangerous side effects of doing that. At, at least for now, it's just bits of art and source code. But when it gets anything more serious than that, yeah, the wheels are going to fall off. Yes, uh, I just saw actually on before we started recording that um, you know Steve Bartlett. Um, I think he yes. did the he founded the social chain that social chain company. He's just invested um, a large chunk of money in a Web three NFT startup, um, and he's got loads of other interesting people involved. So oh, nice. it'll be interesting to see how that goes because because that's when things go from you know concept to mainstream almost accidentally, right? Yeah, um, and. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying these problems are insurmountable, but mm. you're definitely making it harder for yourself to do things that are quite simple in a centralised system. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, have a consistent view of what's happened. <laughs> um, <laughs> Audit trends. Without using like loads of, yeah, compute power and yeah, burning through loads of energy and the killing the planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Could just you could just flip a bit in a database to say yes. <laughs> or yeah. It just seems baffling to me. But. Yeah, I, I wonder how much of it is um is boredom to create new ways of doing things. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. And uh, yeah, investor hype like I'm not saying I wouldn't take investment if an investor came over and said build this web3 thing. Yeah. Maybe I would, but you'd feel a little bit bad about the environment for sure I'd definitely be up there on my list of concerns and risks yeah definitely um, I think we've talked a bit about green engineering and, and things around that previously as well and I have huge huge concerns in that space in terms of what we're, what we're doing with some of these new technologies um, we've almost gone backwards you know we, we, you know serverless for example in terms of what serverless could offer us uh, in terms of that green engineering approach yeah how yeah, yeah. how we utilize resource and, and energy it, it, it concerns me yeah serverless is great direction like spin down to nothing like exactly just yeah. there when you need it rather than mm. big chunky vms sat waiting for you to <laughs> <laughs> talk to them yeah, yeah just mining sense. away <laughs> um what else happened in july we got a extension to Visual Studio Code, which lets you use the browser's inbuilt debugger inside it, so it's a bit more tightly linked. That's so a huge step for you know for those that use it, not me. Yeah, <laughs> set breakpoints in your editor, and it does it in the browser, and it's all really nice. Um, at the same time, they also added Copilot, which uses yes. GPT three. If you haven't got a beta access to OpenAI.com, I would recommend getting it. Mm. It's really Fantastic. You can start a document and it will guess what the end of it is. And then GitHub views this to to enhance a code editing experience where you, you can even just put a comment of what the function might do and it'll guess Which is mad. what it is. Yeah. Or if you have, I don't know, if you're making a new 
Ruby model or an enum and you call it something, it will suggest what the strings should be inside that class. I saw that. It's scary. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's pretty much right. Yeah. Like it, that's the worrying thing. Mad. So, yeah. And so... So are they using, obviously with permission, are they using, um, you know, that mass uh, data set to train, to learn, or how how are they training those models? Yes, the GPT-3 has been fed on the internet. Right. Um, and no, they don't have permission. <laughs> but here we are. Um, but they think it's enough steps away that it's, it's okay. like thought maybe yeah. <laughs> could be some legal problems <laughs> i'm not yeah. a lawyer but <laughs> yeah i i do think i have seen some of the predictions from um copilot and they are scary good they i don't know if they're doing some clever stuff where they they see how similar it is to code that's uh, hopefully they've only scanned code bases that have got a license file in there presumably that's what they've done I, th I think that's what GitHub said when they were challenged on this. Um, yeah, so maybe it's all right. Yeah. I mean, if it saves time for engineers and whatever, then that, that can't be a terrible thing. So that shifts the problem back to debugging, which is the, the fun task. Yeah. And if you didn't write the code in the first place, yeah, exactly. even harder. <laughs> I don't know how it worked because it auto-completed it. <laughs> Good <Yeah>. luck. <laughs> I've got to untangle this mess. <laughs> um Cool. So, so yeah. Moving on to, to August, I guess there was a, there was quite a swift release following that by by GitHub for um, Code Spaces. Yes, which I think we have mentioned previously a little bit. Yeah, we talked about that in a couple of episodes ago, and I probably called it the wrong thing, but it is great. I've yeah. been using it, and it's absolutely amazing. I need to I need to get up to date with this. <laughs> so the good thing about Code Spaces is you can have there's a standardized format for it, so it's .dot dev container. And this is part of VS Code's open source bit. Mm. So if you have a .dev container folder, it's got a definition file in there. It's got some Docker files. When you spin up VS Code, it will it will boot those containers in that configuration and immediately let you start editing stuff. That's amazing. Um, but it'll do it on your local machine. Code Spaces is that, but in the cloud. Because um, there was there was a lot of. Um earlier attempts at this uh, in various different guises. I remember um, when Heroku first launched, there was, there was editors that would help pair, you know, that Heroku runtime with your, yeah. with your cloud environment or whatever. Um, so this is just a, a, a good evolution of that, where we're now at a point where it can become used by anyone with a pretty primitive laptop, I guess. Yeah. The great thing about the code space stuff is, once once it's been booted at once, it, all those layers are cached, mm. and then any other dev working on a project can jump straight in in like ten to fifteen seconds. Like if you if you're running like legacy or unusual projects, and you want devs to jump on them straight away and make yeah. a quick tweak, that's huge, isn't it? You just saved them half a day of yeah. messing around on their laptop to switch Ruby versions or PHP versions or whatever it is. That is huge because I, I was recently revisiting a, a legacy project and had to get old versions of Ruby running on new versions of Mac OS and all sorts of fun things. So that is, yeah. that's huge, isn't it? Yeah, we're blocking out some time now to, to actually go back and put these dev containers oh, in nice. legacy projects because a lot of them will be the same. So yeah. once you get one right for a type of project, mm. it should be touch wood, copy paste <laughs> yeah. between them, and then and then we're, we're we're laughing. Yeah, cool. So also in August, um, Chrome started talking about their intent to remove support for cross-origin iframes. Yep, yeah, which breaks a bunch of stuff. Yes, even Google services. Yep, um, and yeah, they did that. 
as a trial, didn't they? And then they rolled it back. Yes, it caused a lot of angry responses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The problem is with the web is it's layered loads of different tech over the years and advertisers and other people have misused it. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing they want to stop people making dialogue boxes in yes. adverts or third parties, uh, scripts or whatever. But yeah, you can't change stuff that much. No. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's a tricky one, really. It is tricky when, as you said, when people use unofficial APIs to achieve you know, product features. It, yeah. It's really hard because some of them will be legitimate and some of them will be maybe more malicious, would it be fair to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's, it's tricky. Because um, um, I remember when an alert box used to block your whole experience on a computer, like that's that's you done until you click OK. Yeah. And now browsers have sort of made it ha happen just in the tab, which yes. makes it less intrusive. Yes. Um, so yeah, there's ways around it. I don't think they should start yanking features out of what works. No. Just, uh, I think um, I remember when you used to have those terrible pop-up um, spam pages where it just sent infinite. Oh, and you couldn't get out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they fixed that one pretty quickly. Yeah, but like that's that's how to curve that sort of behaviour, isn't it? It's not removing it completely. Yeah, and I think the first time I noticed Chrome was trying to combat this was you'd click OK the first few times and then a little tick box would appear saying ignore all future yes. alert boxes. Yes. Nice little <laughs> fix that. Yeah. Just do that. Yeah. <laughs> and hopefully never take me to that, <laughs> that page ever again. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, big news in August was the web hit 30 years old. Nice. Um, Tim Berners-Lee first posted his his message for um, people to see this kind of preview of what the web, web could be. Uh, he just said, try it. Try it, yeah. <laughs> it's still and, going well. <laughs> and try it, we did. <laughs> yes. Uh, and ruin it, we did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there was that. <laughs> yeah. I'd love, to, I'd love to go to the pub with Tim and just have a chat about, did he imagine it would become this? <laughs> yeah. I know he has some regrets about HTTP colon forward slash forward slash. Yes. He thinks that should have been a bit shorter but no, no one types that now anyway so no exactly i remember i think we talk about this quite a lot but i remember when pete tong uh, on one of the essential oh, mixes yeah. on the radio for the 90s read out the entire web address oh, wow it was the longest thing as well it was like it just kept going on and on and on he's um, like www.asp.slash.hash <laughs> it, it was quite a good little moment in history listening to them listen back to it 20 odd years later was great yeah um, yeah it's amazing yeah um, and also, you know, a big moment in, in August was Firefox losing a serious amount of users. Yeah, that, I feel sad about that, but mm. I have also switched to Chrome. But yeah. that's just because that's where all the good dev tools were for a bit. Yeah. And it, it might be that Firefox have caught up now, but I think they've lost a bit of developer mindshare along the way for some reason. Yeah, what was the, uh, what was the, it started off as an extension. What was the dev tool that was created? Firebug, Firebug. by Joe Hewitt, that was the who one. went on to Facebook and wrote there first Facebook app but yeah the firebug was great yeah that was that was like no more alert boxes back to alert boxes yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you just alert out the value of some JavaScript that you're running because that was the only way you could possibly yeah it's it's baffling that we actually managed to make anything work yeah <laughs> I, I just think that's amazing how he saw it, obviously we knew it was not ideal but how he how kind of had the, the he could see how it needed to work how, how a developer experience needed to evolve yeah well it must have used like an IDE like Visual Basic or something or like yeah. where it's all integrated and you can actually use all these features that you need as a programmer <laughs> yeah. and went hmm the web could have that <laughs> yeah. but it's going to be 
uh, kludge. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a, what an amazing kludge it was. It's yeah. Great. And, and obviously, if you look at the, the dev tools in Chrome now, they're, they're completely influenced by that approach, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, not just by Firebug, obviously, as you mentioned, there's, there's history around the IDEs and stuff. But um, yeah, I was, I was sad to see them lose almost 50 million users over the, that three year period. Um, yeah. Because I think uh, Mozilla, you know, has 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 ebbed and flowed in terms of contributions you know there's depending on who you speak to um you know some people accuse them of being malicious in areas but i, I think on the whole they've contributed really. no i think they've been good stewards of the internet and privacy and look at mdn look at all the look at all this, i mean i know they've uh, at the end of life that maybe i'm not sure but I hope not because that's yeah. where i go yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, oh no they said they were going to get rid of it didn't they and yeah, then, then everyone sad. went please don't because we we need that <laughs> uh, it's a valuable resource yeah i've actually got an extension that blocks w3 schools yeah <laughs> because they oh they always seem to rank better i hate it and it's yeah. like try it try it in the Those playground try, it yeah. doesn't work yeah yeah <laughs> and we'll show you some adverts yeah just go away yeah no i I, I really do I do like what Mozilla have done for the web and, and everything so I, I was fat, I was quite sad to see Firefox uh, maybe, maybe we'll see it make a, a kind of bigger return in the future you know it's yeah. nothing's ever final in these well that's not that's not completely true there are a lot of browsers that are dead but <laughs> <laughs> let's see what happens yeah yeah <laughs> so uh, what happened in September so Google paid Apple 15 billion dollars to remain the default search engine which is a lot of money I misread that completely when I put that in I thought it was million I was like oh, that's pretty cheap <laughs> 15 billion to remain the yeah. default search engine and they must make that back and then some well you'd hope someone's doing the sums wouldn't you <laughs> <laughs> yeah um it, that, could, it could be a loss leader for visibility I guess but I, I doubt it at that price <laughs> yeah that is a chunk of cash obviously yeah. a lot of that cash they used to give to Firefox when Firefox had a huge market share. Mm. And that's how they could hire all their devs because, yeah, people open Firefox, go to Google, Firefox gets some cash. Yeah, everyone wins. Yeah. Well, kind of, not really, yeah. but... And then Google killed them. <laughs> <laughs> it's um, it's interesting, though, that, that sort of um, paying to have that monopoly of that space, you know, sitting inside an OS, sitting inside a browser. Yeah. Really interesting conversation. That, um, um, it is a good default, though. Google still beats Bing for me. Oh, uh, Bing is just terrible, isn't it? DuckDuckGo is not bad when I do some, I do use it for a bit and then I get I feel a bit detached from the results I'm used to sometimes. Yeah, I, it's it's never the aesthetic for me. It's it's the fact that the the results are never what I'm looking for. Yeah, which is obviously the main reason you search for stuff. Yeah, I think the firm main keywords is pretty similar, but then long tail searches can be a bit trickier. Mm. Um, but yeah. Um, and, and speaking of those kind of defaults, um, another key thing happened in September, which I, I quite enjoyed, is Mozilla reverse engineered the way that Microsoft sets Edge as the default in Windows 10. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so Firefox then did the same to make itself <laughs> the default. So Perfect. you've got this real race going on for dominance on, on search engines and, um, and, and browsers. I'm surprised Microsoft... Uh yeah, even toying too much with making themselves a default <laughs> and not openly yeah. publishing that that's how you do it. Because that's how they got into trouble last time, were bundling IE with Windows. Yeah. If you look at, um, I mean, going back in history, if you look at the way that Microsoft operated uh, as a business, you know, the way that they've, you know, you see those famous email trails between Apple and Microsoft, they, the way they try and get their competitive advantage in the edge, um, excuse the pun, um, <laughs> it's never really been through publishing open standards in, in that way, has it? Yeah, they, well, they had that, extend expand extinguish internal line <laughs> but the ext extinguish bit wasn't <laughs> part of their public policy but that came out in all the court stuff didn't it yeah um, 
That's so. the problem with a good slogan. You know, it's hard <laughs> to keep it under wraps. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> um, so rocketing on to October, you know, what, what happened in October? So there was a major Facebook platform outage, which yes. is obviously now called Meta. Um, but they share a lot of services between they have their own data centers and they have a platform which serves images and API requests and stuff. Yes. So when one goes down, they often all go down. But this that was a biggie. That was actually quite relaxing. We were all quite excited. Yeah. And then eye messaging each other like, Yeah, everything's down. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> wow, I've got to, I've got to talk to people. <laughs> this is awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just like trying to figure out what people's phone numbers were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I think uh, me, you and a few other people were just saying, you know, should we maybe this is the right time to move away from a central platform owned by a yeah. mega company. And we started looking at signal and other stuff. Yeah. I really like WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah. So within within the roughly one hour it came, when it come back, we'd we moved back to WhatsApp and forgotten about the whole, whole deal. Yeah, it's nice trying some other stuff though. It was a good try. Um, I think the interesting thing about that, um, and also Cloudflare did a fantastic write-up if you haven't seen it on the outage, but um, it, it went quite, I really felt for the engineers because it went quite wrong for them in terms of, um, they, I think it got so bad they'd locked themselves out of their data centers due to yeah. how it was all plugged together. Yeah, so this was BGP issue, wasn't it? So yeah. this is how internet traffic gets rooted. You advertise here I am, this is how you get to me. It's very much a gentleman's agreement, all yes. this, these protocols. Um, there's like some tooling. I know they use ExaBGP, which strangely I've contributed to. Oh. Uh, <laughs> just some documentation, but still, yeah. it ticks a box. It's a contribution. Um, I didn't write the code that went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Disclaimer. Um, but they had, they basically advertised to the internet that they didn't exist anymore. Yes. And then everything in, inside the network stopped working. So things that controlled the, the doors stopped working. So yeah, they literally just yeah. locked themselves out of everything. <laughs> it's it's, it's, it's terrifying. The, the moment they, I, I think at one, because I was following it live on Twitter and they were like, we're just currently angle grinding our way into the data centers. <laughs> I was like, that, that's a stressful, that's a bad day at work. Isn't yeah, it? that's not great. Yeah. Um, so what else happened in October? Um, oh, Sorry, I asked you a question and I immediately interrupted you. <laughs> Go for it. But the thing that I did enjoy is the the, the situation with that US governor um, seeking criminal prosecution for a reporter that looked at the source code of a web page. <laughs> yeah, absolute hacker. Yeah, uh, the, the whole language is so malicious. And, uh, this person's invaded everything that we possibly live for. And then it was just the source code. Yeah, that code gets sent to them. Yeah. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's okay. Yeah, I, I enjoyed everything that followed from that, the news coverage, um, a, a whole host of confusion. Um, you know, you've got to laugh at these things when they happen sometimes. Um, just the complete misinterpretation of, of, of what's happened. I'm guessing they didn't get prosecuted in the end. I don't think it got very far, <laughs> no, because I think someone who was technical, or not even technical, came along and said, that's really daft. <laughs> um, you're making yourself look really silly. Yeah. If you just send someone some data, you can't then get angry at them for looking at it. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, I can't believe you um, You took money from my credit card when I sent you the credit card details. I was, I was furious. <laughs> um, so... Um, one, one, uh, one other thing that came off the back of, sorry, I'm, I'm jumping about a little bit here, but there's just so much to happen in October. But um, one thing that did come off the Facebook uh, and general Instagram, everything outage um, was um, owning that little corner of the internet for yourself. So, you know, 
building your own personal site, you know, obviously it's become a lot easier to build static sites and deploy them um, using various technologies. One of the things is it was a frank reminder for engineers and developers and also just most people really that um, your data on these platforms probably isn't um, yours to own and look after. Uh, just a kind of nice reminder. Yeah, definitely. Um, hopefully you can't hear my dog um, rumbling around the floor <laughs> Louis just having a great time playing with all the toys that he never usually touches um, uh, <laughs> only during podcasts does he like to bite his toys <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else in October that we've missed don't think so um, so one oh one thing I did uh, just to kind of final mention for October was um, Lee uh, Lee Veru, um pointed out the whole situation with standards standard dialogues controls and the emoji picker um, yeah. in terms of the, if you go on every different app there's a different version of an emoji pick, picker sometimes with custom emojis for that platform or app um, it's time we had a more native approach to or at least how to trigger the, the emoji picker but uh, I wonder if that's something we'll see over the, over the coming months yeah absolutely there's a group of people working on prototypes for select drop downs as well I think Edge first, mm. so it must be Microsoft sponsored, you'd assume. Mm. But yeah, they're looking at like when you implement a custom select dropdown. Obviously, there's a lot of code that needs to be done for accessibility, yes. using the keyboard up and down, and all that kind of stuff. So if if browsers could do that out the box, yes, they're looking at ways of doing that. Um, but yeah, it's it's very up and coming. That I think it's been yeah. long overdue. Yes, absolutely. Um, and, and that kind of moves on nicely to to November, which is uh, Microsoft. We're toying with the idea of this buy now, pay later option that was baked into Edge. Yeah. So this is almost payday loan territory for mm -hmm. me because you don't know. You're basically lending, aren't you? Yeah. And should that be baked into a browser? Mm. Maybe not. There's a lot of scrutiny around Klarna in the EU at the moment, yes. uh, especially around Christmas time, because you could go to multiple of these companies and do pay later, mm. rack up a load of debt, and your January, February, March looks pretty bad. Yeah. I guess the only redeeming factor is that it is you are actually buying a thing, so you could probably return it if yeah. you made a mistake. Mm. It's not like cash, but still dubious for me and uh, I, I know Monzo's recently gone into this space with Monzo Flex uh, obviously being a bank you'd expect a bit more governance and understanding about the usage of that um, I, think, I think flexible low rate lending is good but yeah. it needs to be done responsibly and the risks highlighted I think yeah. that was the backlash wasn't it yeah so it, it did get quite a big backlash in terms of it, it's it's not a responsible place to have those sorts of prompts you know it, it's I understand making things easier for the end user but if that results in bad spur of the moment decision making then it's probably not the right place for it yeah I think it is an optional extension if you were to use a company if Klarna released a browser extension say buy now pay later everywhere mm. people can opt into that yeah I think that's better that, yeah. that would work I think that's okay isn't it yeah it's not Microsoft going here you go every, <laughs> every credit card input is a, a loan yeah that is, <laughs> that is really dangerous I think though yeah it's, it's the wrong the wrong positioning for that sort of product isn't it 100% um, so I think that was, that was, oh no, there was one other key thing that happened in November, which was huge news for the, the dev community, which was Netlify raised uh, well over a hundred million dollars to grow its dev platform. Um, I think this is a huge win for the, for the community, a huge win for obviously for Netlify. Um, yeah. you know, I am a fan. I've not, I've not hidden that in the past. 
Um, you know, so I, I think it's amazing to see what they're going to do with that capital, how they're going to push forward um, that platform um, and, and see how they kind of give back to the community. Yeah. Um, I saw they're doing a good thing uh, this month in December for um, all those old domains that you've had lying around and you've never built side projects for. If you if you do that now and you deploy them, if you make a deploy to those, um, I think they'd make some sort of contribution to a fund or something. Oh, that's nice. I, I should have read properly what it meant. But, yeah, um, I've got loads of those. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> get on it yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah seems worth it yeah um so that brings us to december what ha- what's happened in december so far in december dhh had another bit of a bad take which was this whole programmers shouldn't should stop celebrating incompetence basically yes and he's attacking people like the oh i've got no idea what i'm doing dog emoji and yeah. like a meme even but i think it's just a really bad take because yeah. people are at different points in their careers and they can deal with it mentally or joke about it however they want to and yeah dhh should back off <laughs> yeah i mean hopefully the 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 finale of bad takes from dhh of this year but um yeah i, I think the issue with that is it really um infringed on you know at the end of the day imposter syndrome is is is, is prevalent in the industry but equally you know everyone learns and and, and recreates in their own ways um i think he definitely hit out at copy pasting things from Stack Overflow. Yeah. Um, people obviously dug up in the internet, you know, in the history of the internet, places where he'd said he loves copy and pasting, etc. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I just think it was, it was a bad take because it, it showed someone who was quite fragile in their views in terms of if you do this, it makes you weak. Whereas actually that that is a really bad take. <laughs> it's very sort of tech bro yeah. sort of angle, wasn't it? Like Yeah, exactly. Like, we should call out incompetence if we see it. No, yeah. we shouldn't. It's like, <laughs> what? If you if you're mentored or fostered people and, and you know and tried to look after the progression of their own learning. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like people, you don't want to just make people stumble early in their career. It must be helped and like yeah. guided and yeah. yeah. There's a difference between trying to do something and. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah having been in the industry for 15 20 years he obviously he thinks he knows all this and he does he's a very smart chap totally but his his emotional eq is pretty low i think no yeah he's, he's seriously devoid of uh empathy and also uh emotional intelligence in that area i think um it's particularly terrible because it um you know, he, he's from a privileged position in tech. You know, he, he's had um, a lot of his career to carve how he, he prefers to learn and, uh, you know, and how he prefers to write applications. Yep. That, that isn't everyone. So uh, I think it's quite damaging that he, he sticks to that view. But who am I to tell him? That? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I think the final thing to mention in December, obviously we're not quite done yet. Hopefully there's no other whoppers that come out. But, you know, the, the Log4j vulnerability... Um, has been a difficult week um, for a lot of people. Yeah. So for those that don't know, this is a very common Java library, which is used in pretty much all Java applications. Yeah. It's part of Apache Foundation. Um, Even big players like Amazon's S3 were affected. So you could just do a get request to S3. Yeah. And it would go and contact an LDAP server. And then if it responded with some Java code, it would execute that java code which is pretty bad it's probably as bad as it can get and it affects everything so yeah we've had a fun week patching a few bits and pieces that use this also uh late last night 
I was looking on the internet and the patch that they released doesn't actually fix it. I saw there's going to be in there. <laughs> so, yeah. There is another patch to do. So yeah, this is not good. This is hundreds and hundreds of thousands of hours of wasted time yeah. and money, but it's not on this one guy's to do. Absolutely it's not his not. fault. No. There's three people funding that project and there should be 300 people funding the project. Absolutely. And more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, this is a, this is a common library used in, in a lot of things. Um, you know, if anything, it, it brings that conversation up again about sponsorship of open source and, yep. and, and how we, how we utilize that. One of the things that I, I think is interesting with that is the, so I think the reason it was the way that was triggered was through string interpolation, allowing yeah. the LDAP call. That's right. Yeah. Now, design-wise, I, I appreciate the flexibility of such a thing, but yeah. how string interpolation is then calling, you know, an LDAP server or something? It's, it's, there's a lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but again, it, just to be crystal clear, it's not on the maintainers for this issue. This know? seems to be a uniquely Java thing where everything's infinitely extendable, quite yes. weighty, lots yes. of abstraction. You can't possibly understand it all. Yeah. I think it's because it's sort of more enterprisey, and everyone likes everything to plug into everything else. And, and it's back to what we were saying earlier about how you know some people find good and bad ways to use these uh, these features. Yeah. Um, sadly, this was exposed through. I think it was through a header originally, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Any anything that could be logged. Yeah. If it has that string in it, yeah. might trigger the bug which is such a wide yeah i know <laughs> yeah it's, it's such a wide surface area of attack such um, a yeah. but yeah there are mitigations you can obviously put rules in your web application firewall which is the quick that's what you do on a sunday as yeah. a quick fix and yeah. then yeah yeah you just have to patch and look at everything because you'll, you'll be surprised how many java things you have lurking maybe you've got Kibana or Logstash or yeah. there's loads of Atlassian products that are affected. Everything is affected. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one thing um, one thing around that is Cloudflare and other vendors quite quick to react to say, look, we've, we've already enabled rules that will block this sort of, um, these, these sort of params getting through to your application yeah. um, from the get-go. Uh, that, that's another benefit of using some of these sorts of tools. Um, yeah, definitely. And obviously uh, using, um, you know, maintained systems, you know, maintained services um, also, you know, th yeah. they can patch that too. The, the, the shift to serverless and managed services mean that if you're writing stuff in that way, you're probably patched yeah. unless you're running Java as your actual app itself and using Log4j, but yep. <laughs> but in, in most circumstances that would just get fixed for you and you can sleep soundly. But yeah. in reality, you've probably got, if you're a large organization, yeah. you've got some boxes somewhere that no one even knows about that's still running this. Yeah. And hopefully it's not publicly accessible. And then, yeah, the danger is it can, if it has access to other machines or has data on it that could be Mm. scrapes then you're going to have a bad time yeah i mean the, the blast radius of this sort of thing is is huge if you, you know I, i've looked to even you know even phones and networked phones um are affected by this sort this of this will stuff. be years yeah. of damage this will carry on they'll yeah. be they'll still be shipping cisco will still be shipping phones with this <laughs> vulnerability on for many yes. years to come because it just takes so long to get everything updated yeah well imagine you know the, the firmware that runs on those phones getting that updated overnight and patched and i imagine that's a huge task yeah and yeah. not every company is going to be forthcoming about their use of log4j and no. necessarily and it's just going to be cost prohibitive 
massively change stuff. I, I hope it does raise that good conversation there about how we support open source maintainership and yeah, because um, that has been quite a, a buzz buzzy topic this year. I don't know if you think you think so, but yeah, how we support definitely definitely support. I don't, everyone's seen that classic XKCD yeah. uh, cartoon where there's one little block at the bottom of a tower and it's like yeah. this is all in- infrastructure and this little piece is just someone, yeah. some tireless maintainer somewhere has been ma- maintaining thanklessly. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 going to be so important. Yeah. Um, I've seen in some groups been talking about uh, sort of ethical hacking. What if you can make a worm or a virus that uses the exploit in order to fix itself yeah um, that could be interesting to see if that happens but um but yeah it's the it, chances of a, a worm fixing the problem rather than exploiting <laughs> it though are probably slightly lower yeah they? yeah um but yeah it's 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 this is a bad thing that's happened and w- the industry is going to have to take some time and reflect and figure out yeah how to fix it long term yeah absolutely well, that that kind of concludes the the roundup. Thanks for thanks for sticking with us. If you've you know, this is probably one of the longer episodes that we've done. Um, we we can talk crap, can't we? <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> this uh, is our lives. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is generally what me and James talk about quite a lot. But um, but no, I, I guess the only final thing to say there is thanks for for sticking with us this year. You know, it's been it's been good. Yeah. Thanks for tuning in, and yeah, we'll talk more rubbish next year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I hope you join us then. <laughs> All right, thanks, James. Thanks. Bye. So I think we've just about run out of time there. Thanks for sticking with us for a long one. A huge thank you to listening to Offscript today and do check out the other Hey Content Online as well as some of the fantastic work that Stack is doing. Hit subscribe to get some more of this content in future. Thanks very much and have a really good new year. Oh, 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 oh,